you know, in in the child that we lost, you know, which was our second child, you know, was a little boy. Uh, yeah, we lost him in utero. Um, but you know that yeah was absolutely a catalyst for my wife and I to to really come together. You know, even as people who are very much in love and had one beautiful child already, will you know that brought us even closer together. And it also ultimately was a catalyst, along with a couple of other hits that all came at the same time for us to. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, all of you amazing abundant leaders? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, showing you, proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness. It is Christmas time. I am like a kid during Christmas time, and this year is super exciting because I'm going to have all my boys here and my daughter-in-law, which I absolutely adore. And we are going to have so much fun while they are here. My oldest boy is flying in from Korea. We're super excited about that. And, you know, I'm just a big kid anyway, but especially around the holidays, my attitude of gratitude and abundance mindset is just through the roof this time of year. And it's my Christmas wish that yours is too. You know, today in this conversation, it gets a little deep uh, but during the kick in the gut moment. But, you know, we bring you right back up and we lift you up and we prove to you and show you that you can learn from every single kick in the gut moment. You can learn from your adversities and you can grow from that and you should grow from that. Adversity, difficult, and obstacles and kick-in-the-gut moments, they're put in our way on purpose. They're there to help us grow. They're a test to help you grow so you can learn from that experience and become more resilient each and every time. So please keep that in mind as you listen to this episode and as you go through your life, whether it's during the holidays or not. And remember this, it is very important to seek out assistance. You cannot figure it out yourself. I cannot figure it out myself. I have multiple coaches and mentors and people that I talked to. I was just with a group of veterans this week and we were sitting around and we actually did a a Facebook live all over the world, wherever Facebook is at. And we had a lot of people tuning in to a town hall where veterans and first responders were talking about what we can do. What is our play? What is our part that we can do as a community to prevent suicide within our communities, whether it's first responders, military, or just anybody in general. And one thing that was unanimous from those who had actually attempted suicide or had suicidal ideology was that somebody or a group of people or even the suicide hotline is actually what saved their lives. They admitted that they themselves would not have been here today had it not been for that person, that group of people, or the suicide hotline. They swear by it and they say that if they had not made that call or if that person had not shown up at that point in time, 
they would not be here today. They could not have done it by themselves. Please don't think that you can handle all of your situations and everything you're going through by yourself. Because listen, you might be a smart person, and I bet you are, but you don't know what you don't know. There's other people that have experienced other things and are able to share with you their experiences or ways for you to cope with the situation that you're dealing with. So please, seek that help. Get in a group of people that can that you can resonate with, that can, you can just have a conversation with. And you don't have to have suicidal ideology to get into these groups. It's healthy to be in groups of people. That's who we are as human beings. We've always been tribal people, tribal beings. It's important for us to be accepted into groups and to accept other people into our lives. And listen, there are many groups out there. You can go to local groups. You can go to meetups. You can get in Facebook groups. There are many Facebook groups you can be a part of, one of which is the Men of Abundance Facebook group. You can go there as men and get access to the Men of Abundance Facebook group. Or consider what hobby you like. If it's RC cars and RC boats and RC planes like me and my boys, then get into those kind of groups. Go out and hang out with those type of people that are doing those hobbies. Whatever hobby it is that you enjoy doing, get into those groups of people and hang out with those type of people. Healthy hobbies and and people around you, that is something that keeps your mind on things that excite you and get you motivated and, and get you to want to thrive and learn more and do things and help other people because the more you learn then you can help other people and oh by the way when you teach somebody a skill you master the skill there's a little trick for you and when you master your skill and teach that to others you make your community a better place you make the world a better place and speaking of making the world a better place our featured guest today believes that better leaders can create a better world so he devotes himself professionally to working with leaders to improve themselves and the organizations they lead, all contributing to this overall goal. Tim was raised by leaders, his dad in the military and his mom in education, and found himself in his first former leadership role at age 11 in one of the UK's leading boys' choirs. Tim progressed on through leadership roles at school and university where he studied organizational behavior and in his early career worked as a recruiter to help leaders build their careers and organizations to attract better leaders so they could go on and do more. This progressed into consulting and coaching culminating in him co-founding 4i Group, a Sydney-based leadership development company in 2016. Tim loves what he does, leading and serving leaders and is fortunate enough to have worked with a broad spectrum of leaders from corporate CEOs and boards to not-for-profit leaders and up-and-coming leaders across many sectors and countries around the world. Tim considers the journey of learning to lead to be a lifelong one and stands behind his values as the consistent drivers of his leadership success. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Tim Collings. Tim, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Wally. Thank you, mate. Thank you for inviting me here. And yeah, it's great to be here. How are you going? I'm doing very well. Uh, where are you at in the world? Okay, so I'm in Australia. And uh, I, yeah, for the, the closest sort of geographical reference for, you know, my cousins like you, you know, across the big pond in America, I'm, I'm a few hours south of Sydney. Um, 
So I live yeah, the equivalent of, of sort of upstate or downstate, depending on which point of the compass you're at from a, a major metropolitan center. Um, if you want to type it into Google Maps, I live just outside a little town called Nowra, N-O-W-R-A. Man, that... One of these days I'll get to Australia. I was so close when I lived in Hawaii for several years, and I just said, I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there, because I've wanted to get to Australia since I was a kid. I know my, my listeners have heard me say this so many times, especially every time I talk to somebody who's in Australia. But, yeah. Um, it's got to happen. Come on down. Seriously, I, I think, yeah, having yeah, having having listened to a few of your shows, I think you'd really dig the vibe here, um, and there'd be a lot of good people for you to connect up with and, you know, I'd be happy to you know, sort of be a connector on that point. So whenever you're ready, man, come on down. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. So i like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, man. What do you have to be grateful for today? So I'm actually going to answer this in two ways, if I may. One is some sort of specific call-outs, and one is also a general response, which I make to this, this question when I do receive it from others. And the general response first is that I'm actually sincerely grateful for every moment that I've lived that's brought me here today. Good, bad, traumatic, celebratory. I really have now got myself to a point where I can look at all of my experience as being vectors for learning and progress. Um, and we, we might talk a little bit more about some of my experiences as we go through the conversation so I can, I can explore that more thoroughly. But specifically today, I would say that I'm immensely grateful to my wife and my family for their love and their support and their trust and their patience <laughs> with, <laughs> with me and, 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 and the mission that I'm on. Um, also to my team uh, in the business that I lead, you know, for their belief, for their sharing, you know, my values and our collective values and for their brilliance um, and ultimately to our customers, you know, for allowing us to serve them and, 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 and to contribute to the journey that they're on. Yeah, all extremely important to be grateful for. And man, that is a lot to be grateful for. And we're certainly <laughs> going to get into your, 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 you know, the, the uh, ups and downs that you were alluding to. We're certainly going to get into that. But here on the show, we really like to explore and get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, let's get a little bit more personal. How would you describe yourself? Yeah, so I have to say, I, I really struggle with this one. Um, and I, I, yeah. I try and you know, use a cultural excuse for that and sort of say, look, I mean, I've been living in Australia since 2006, but I was brought up in the UK where modesty is a kind of like a primal virtue. So, you know, you ask a British person to describe themselves and even someone as successful as Richard Branson will kind of go down into themselves a little bit and go, oh, I'm not really too sure how I can answer that. Um, but let me try. So, I mean, it, it, the easiest way to define myself is sort of functionally. You know, I'm a husband, I'm a father. I'm an outdoorsman, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and I try always in all of those endeavors to be a force for good through my own definition of, of what good is. And then I'm actually going to use a definition which I you know, regard as a, as a high compliment that I received uh, you know, from, from a, a sort of a kindred spirit in, in the leadership world recently. Um, and she described me as an achiever, a leader, and a leader and teacher of leaders. And I think as a concise synopsis, I think that's, that's, that's much better than I could do. Yeah, that's, um, that's a very good compliment. And Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, that's from Zoe Routh. She's a fantastic leadership expert here in Australia. Um, 
and yeah, I, I, I was honoured to, to be on on her show. She has a, a podcast of her own, as as well as uh, you know, very successful leadership practice here. And yeah, that 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 came as an assimilation of of the conversation that she and I had. Uh, yeah, which I was I was very very grateful to receive from her. What do you think that? What do you think got you to that point? Now, in your bio, you talk a little bit about how you, you know, started your first kind of one of one of your first leadership roles very young. I think eleven years old is one of your first leadership <laughs> yeah. roles. And I was I was reading through your bio. I was like, man, that's it sounds pretty familiar. But how do you do you feel that you receive such a compliment like that as through you know, like you said, through all of your experiences? But what do you think got you to that point? Yeah. So look, I think. Um, I, I, I'm a, I'm a real kind of on the fencer when it comes to nature and nurture. Um, so I think that I absolutely have faculties and innate capabilities that are appropriate and have now been refined for the purpose of leadership. But then I've also had a hell of a lot of trips along the road and opportunities to learn as I've picked myself up. And I've, I've listened to the people that my you know, experiences have impacted on um, and, and, and essentially to, to be nurtured as a leader. Um, so I was raised by leaders. Uh, you know, my dad was in the military. Uh, he, he went all the way through uh, a combination of, um, of different uh, you know, sort of uh, functions. He was an infantryman. He worked you know, as a secondi to military intelligence. And then he ended up in the, in the, the, the sort of the, uh, what is now the sort of the data arm um, of the British intelligence. He was, he was one of the first officers working with having sort of IT infrastructure deployed on the front line as a feedback mechanism, which was in the, in the, um, the Bosnian conflict. And then my mum, who is a, you know, a, a, an education leader. So she was a, a, a sort of a, a senior, um, executive in a, in a very large, um, public high school uh both in the uk so i think you know early on you know as a kid you know you're sort of standing there looking up at this world of legs and you know loud dark you know deep voices you know i was being exposed to a lot of leadership behaviors either overtly or you know you know sort of uh, subliminally you know we'd have senior army officers you know coming over to socialize you know we'd have my mum you know talking with very well respected senior you know sort of leaders in the education world in 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 the uk and elsewhere um and then i think my innate inclination was always to lead but initially it just in the most rudimentary way just as a disciplinarian um and that that early role that you talked to the 11 year old one so that was as a as a head chorister of a cathedral choir um and that's one of those classic childhood experiences which you really just kind of submit to when you're a kid like there's 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 not much that's less cool than putting like a big fluffy rough under your neck and you know five days of the school week and on you know three times on a sunday and then if there's a wedding or a funeral saturday as well you know rocking up into a big old building and singing for your supper and singing about god and jesus and stuff right like when all the other kids are playing soccer or basketball or you know kind of whatever they do i'm getting up at six o'clock in the morning to go and sing psalms and arias and whatever um and that you know and that kind of grates you and you get victimized for that or at least i certainly did you know in the schoolyard um and it kind of cuts you off from some of the social norms of, of that you know kind of upbringing as well um 
but that, again, I look at that now as one of the cornerstones of my childhood and, 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 and the ways that I benefited from that were immense. Um, but from a leadership perspective, it was very straightforward. You know, it was command and control. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the most experienced. You know, I'm one of the older boys. You, know, you, you do what I say and you follow what I do. Very straightforward. Um, and when I was leaving the choir, the choir master reflected on this anecdote of we were doing a TV broadcast and he sent the younger boys out into the kind of like little kind of grassy knoll that was just to the side of the church. And he said, look, whatever you do, keep them quiet. The mics are going to pick up everything. We're doing this particular thing with the, with the adults, with the gentlemen of the choir. You've got to keep them quiet. Whatever you need to do, just keep them quiet. And he came outside some 15, 20 minutes later to find us playing football, you know, soccer, uh, in silence. Wow. And this was a group of like 20 kids where I at 11 was one of the older ones. Some of the younger ones would have been six or seven. And he said he just couldn't, he couldn't believe his eyes, let alone his ears, <laughs> that, that, this, that this was even possible. Um, and, you know, and then it, and it kind of went from there, right? So then I sort of led at a student body level. I, you know, I was an elected student body leader then going through university uh, and then relatively quickly, you know, once I got, you know, sort of into professional life, uh, you know, I was sort of nurtured as a leader as well. But it's only, I would say, been relatively recently, you know, sort of the last, you know, sort of five or six years or so that I've actually really been able to, you know, sort of look at what leadership should be uh, and, and how I should, uh, you know, sort of embark on that journey and, uh, and, and then try and sort of become the leader that I really want to be and, and help others become the leaders that they want to be as well. Yeah, that's very impressive. And I'm, I'm, I don't know from experience, but I can imagine uh, just making it through that is definitely going to give you uh, thick skin and make you pretty tough. But, man, I can't <laughs> to keep kids that age, especially that many, quiet, playing soccer on top of it. And that's impressive in itself. So yeah. destined for uh, greatness there, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, as we alluded to earlier, you've got a couple kick-in-the-gut moments, and I'd like for you to share one of those with us, because what we learn from these kick-in-the-gut moments, guys, for those of you who are new to listening, is we all have them. Bottom line up front, we're going to have more. It's just part of life. It's part of growing. It's part of learning. It's what you do with that experience that makes a difference in your life or put you on the streets. I mean, it really is that drastic. So if you would, Tim, share with us one of those kick in the gut moments and really make us feel it. And then we're going to get into, you know, what you learned from that and what you're doing with that information. Yeah. So I have to say, I, I mean, I, I struggle to kind of pre-craft anything. Um, I'm the last person to script a line, but I've really, in thinking about this question, I've really, you know, sort of explored, and not to say I've had a hard road or a tough life by any means, you know, compared to a lot of people, but I've had a fair few of these <laughs> along the way. Um, so to try and find one and just narrow down and go, that's the most valuable learning experience for me. Um, so what I'm going to do, if you'll allow me to, is I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to um, try and, and sort of form a response around a number of instances, but they all have one um you know sort of tenant to them right which is bereavement you know is is about death is about the trauma 
that comes from that and what you learn from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, you know, so that, to reinforce my opening statement, you know, I look at these things in gratitude, you know, as, you know, sort of means through which I've been able to learn. So, I've lost two stepmothers to cancer. I've lost two young best friends, one to a car accident, one to suicide. And then my wife and I lost a child. And that last one in particular, I don't talk about a lot, but Mm. in listening to some of your shows previously, I actually feel that if it's okay with you, I'm okay to to kind of include that and and, and to share the learnings from that as well. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, let's see how we go. So, I mean, look, from, from, from the mothers, um, Jenny and Catherine, I, I've learned a lot about, you know, sort of the power of purpose and the power of relationships to really enable your know, love to, you know, sort of bring, you know, very, very good people who just could never really sort of, you know, click together to do so, right? Um, so my parents had a very dysfunctional marriage from the outset. Uh, you know, we kind of weathered the storm of that until such time as my dad went and, uh, and, and, you know, sort of found a better way for him. But then through these two fantastic women, um, essentially they were a conduit for he and I and my brother and I to, to build, a, you know, a, a, as effective a relationship as, as, as we can have. And, and that's, that's been a fantastic enabler. And it was a, it was a real trauma to lose both of them obviously one after the other he's not a mormon it was a sequence um but what but what i actually learned most from those two was purpose so both of them had their own very successful careers and then with my dad in post-military life had his own very successful career in security consulting they really found their own purpose um you know their purpose in entrepreneurship their purpose as parents um and and, and, and looking at that journey later in life for both of them, um, you know, 40s and 50s, you know, that really enabled me as a 20-year-old young man to look at them and go, okay, so maybe this isn't a linear process here. Maybe, you know, it, it is as simple as, you know, defining values and purpose and then just kind of seeing where that takes you. Um, from the friends, it would be purpose again. You know, that Chris who died in a car crash really found his purpose um he was a guy who'd kind of wandered in the wilderness as a youngster not successful at school um you know kind of found enough joy from from work but where his purpose lied was in authoring kids books Mm. and he finished his only book uh just a couple of months before he was killed um but it had taken him years just to finish that so as kind of deeply painful and ironic as it was to lose him the fact that he'd kind of finished something significant really kind of for the first time you know almost felt like you know he'd done his life's his life's work even though we lost him you know really too young and then rob you know was was a deep you know sort of best friend at school uh you know who then took his own life you know again far too early but you know for him it was it was really a question of finding purpose finally and then feeling that it was going to be taken away from him and that, that that was just something that he couldn't reconcile. Um, and then the final one, 
you know, in in the child that we lost, you know, which was our second child, you know, was a little boy. Uh, yeah, we lost him in utero. Um, but you know that you know, was absolutely a catalyst for my wife and I to to really come together. You know, even as people who are very much in love and had one beautiful child already, will you know that brought us even closer together. And it also ultimately was a catalyst, along with a couple of other hits that all came at the same time for us to activate a life plan that always had seemed like a bit of a dream, which was to get out of the city, to move out of town, to move for a lifestyle play, and then build the means to facilitate that life, which now three years later, with a beautiful little girl here with us as well, who we would not have had, we were only ever going to have two kids, that was, that was very much predefined for us. Um, yeah, I have so much to be grateful for and I, and I can look at the loss of, of our little boy and just sort of say, well, okay, that is what it was, that that was beyond everyone's control. Um, and it's now allowed us to, to do and be something that we otherwise absolutely would not be. Um, yeah, well, definitely. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I know it's going to touch a lot of, uh, guys and a lot of men and women out there listening incidentally uh, about it's about 50 50 split on men and women listeners uh, believe it or not <laughs> which is kind of cool very cool to me in, in, indeed but it's definitely going to touch the hearts of a lot of people i personally have a high school friend who lost his uh just an amazing young man um in a motorcycle accident they he was a motocross racer and yep. that's what he did and kenny did himself as well when he was younger uh and and then my brother actually lost his oldest son, uh, got hit by a car, and it was just an yeah, instant. Wow. It's, it's very, very tough to deal with. Uh, even from my perspective, I can't even imagine from the parents' perspective. I mean, I can, but I just can't feel it the same. Uh, so I definitely feel that. And uh, all of that, like you said earlier, you know, everything is a learning point. I, even even from my perspective, I find it hard to get a learning point from losing a child. I couldn't imagine it. I'd be like, what could I learn from that? It just doesn't calculate for me. But uh, everything makes us who we are. And um, God bless you and you know your family for going through that and everybody else for that matter because it touches a lot of people, does it not? And it does. It does. And again, you, know, you, you, you go through these experiences and you know we haven't we haven't done you know therapy or anything like that but you know just you know sharing this yeah you know, normally and obviously much more closed and, and and sort of proximate and personal you know sort of uh, interactions but you'd be amazed how many people have got a very similar journey um mm. you know one of my close mentors and i had known for a decade you know saw me just 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 a month or so after after we lost a little one um and and he had had exactly the same experience, had 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 a son, had then lost the second pregnancy at an advanced point, very very similar situation to us, had been able to rec reconcile that, and then had had a little girl as, as effectively the third child uh, and the two survivors, um, and again that shared experience has brought us closer together, and and we've been able to you know kind of like you know tune in even more than we had after a very long you know successful professional relationship um so yeah that that uh yeah there's <laughs> like i say it's been by far and away not you know kind of a 
you know, Silver Spoon Adventure, you know, there's been dices with death <laughs> for myself. Mm. You know, there's been plenty of, you know, sort of slaps in the chops and punches on the jaw professionally, you know, personally outside of all that stuff. But you know, I listened to some of the responses from your other guests and I wanted to be equally sincere. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. And um, a lot of learning going on there and a lot of um – I just greatly appreciate you sharing that because, again, it just points out the fact that, you know, we're all on our journey and we all have hardships and we got to go on with life. You know, that's what our the people that, you know, leave us too soon, I believe, would expect us to do. Uh, yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, because that's what I would expect them to do, you know, for sure. Wow. So, you know, how are you paying it forward? What, you know, what are you doing with all this information, all these experiences that you have in your life, uh, this amazing leadership ability that you have and traits? What are you doing with that? How are you paying it forward? So, again, there's a couple of ways. Um, I mean, the major one is really taking a stand around who is it for? You know, who is our work for? And, you know, this is this has been a, uh, an, evil, an evolving process. But about a year ago, I, I, you know, working with a working with a coach, um, I finally kind of got to a point of just kind of getting right down into the core of me. And, you know, why do I get out of bed in the morning and, 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 and why do I do this work? And why do I, you know, so why I'm on this journey of leadership? Um, and ultimately, that is about making the world better. Um, and that sounds like the most, you know, sort of grandiose and, and sort of self-aggrandizing, you know, arrogant statement. Oh, I'm making the world better, but um, you know, I do the small amount that I can personally. Um, but it, it it is actually saying, well, I could go and make a truckload of cash working with all comers. You know, just taking a pure scale approach, just kind of like loading the wagon every day and just going out to sell whatever I can to whoever wants it. Or I could just target where the money is, you know, going at organizations and institutions that I don't believe are making the world better, but just just go and sell to them. And they've got lots of cash so they can give some of it to me. Mm. But I've actually really made this 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 very explicit now. And it's it's kind of at the cornerstone of everything that we do. You know, when we're marketing and when we're onboarding clients is to say, we work with leaders who are making the world better. You tell us how you're making the world better and we want to help you do that. So that's, that's, that's the biggest way. And it really is about accelerating the process that they do that and amplifying the impact that they'll have as they do that. So that's kind of the big one. And then how, you know, ways in which we do that. You know, I have always been happy to share everything I know with anyone that'll listen. And obviously, I have to charge some people for doing that because I have to feed the family. But what I've gotten a bit better at in the last even just six months, but probably two years, is getting over my own imposter syndrome and out of my own head and listening to the customers who actually tell me how much I'm helping them and then putting some more of that information out into the world and just leaving it there for whoever wants it. So, you know, as a group... Um, and I you know, publish a lot of my own sort of thoughts and ideas, you know, in our in our insights, you know, sort of area. Um, and I'm now starting to put more and more of that stuff in YouTube. Um, you know, so again, it's there for all comers. And even you know something as as sort of you know, like sort of arbitrary as a newsletter. But what I do in a monthly newsletter is I literally just kind of download all of the most valuable content that I've consumed that month. 
in terms of what have I listened to, what have I watched, and what have I read. And I just go, here you go. And I, that's really easy for me. And, and occasionally get asked by people, how do you have, how do you have time to to consume all this stuff? And and you know, are you really, are you really, are you really like checking all this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I only put stuff in the newsletter that I've you know, read and enjoyed or listened to or enjoyed or watched and enjoyed and, and felt that I've learned something from. And it's easy for me because I love what I do. <laughs> and, I've, and I've found my purpose. So I, I'll consume all this stuff just for myself. Then I get the benefit of consuming it so I can help you know, refine my, my contribution and, and apply it to my customers. Um, and now I just want to share it with everybody. Yeah. Um, so that's, so that's, that's there. And uh, that's called the, the kit bag, the leader's kit bag. And then the final way is you know, I try – you know, as much as I can to, you know, share, you know, the, the revenues that we do generate with leaders who need it most, you know, with, with people in, in less, you know, sort of fortunate positions, uh, you know, wherever they may be in the world and also do our own bit to make the world better. So I partner personally with um, Scott Harrison's organization, Charity Water, and I, I donate personally to them. Um, and I've spent some time in those kind of parts of the world and I understand how vital as a fundamental resource that is to provide people with a clean source of water. Uh, it's pretty hard to lead or pretty much do anything else, you know, when your kids are dying of dysentery because they have to drink from a dirty pond, right? Oh, for um, sure. And then the other one that we partner with at a corporate level is uh, is, a, is a really great organization called Business for Good. Uh, and they, they have a system called B1G1, which is a very simple, you know, every product, every service, you know, you donate a portion of that revenue to and then you can select from a really broad range of, of projects and all of the money that you donate goes immediately to the front line of that project. And they really do a lot of work to, to source and build partnerships with, you know, not-for-profits and high-impact, uh, you know, sort of local projects that are, are working with, with, with really, you know, sort of great people who just don't have access to capital. Mm-hmm. And whether that's to, you know, educate, you know, sort of, women in a culture that doesn't normally advocate for that kind of thing or to work on an environmental project or a commercial entrepreneurial endeavor or whatever it is so we, we kind of allocate those depending on you know the uh the most appropriate you know sort of revenue stream to generate the funds that are required for a project man that's huge and you're doing quite a bit for paying it forward i greatly appreciate that yeah and scott harrison does a great job with his with his business as i understand it because when i first got introduced to his business model um a buddy of mine mike dillard was uh donating to it and you can donate to two different sides there's two parts that you can donate to the business side and the charity side and 100 percent is going to go to accordingly uh which Mm -hmm. is absolutely and that's another just amazing story in itself on how he started that business yeah Um, love it yeah great causes to give to man and great way to pay it forward i absolutely appreciate that and uh man just keep doing that that's awesome Thank you. We will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. So speaking of that, as a matter of fact, uh, we are at the point where we are going to pay it forward. Well, before, even before we do that, I want to get into the pay it forward round. But before we do that, what does it look like when you're working with somebody as far as rather, rather it's paid or not, um, and you're working with somebody or a group of people and what you do for the leadership side? What does that look like? And who are your ideal clients? Who are the people you like to work with? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. So, I mean, look, as an organization, everything that we do is paid, you know, with the exception of go read this stuff that we put out there in the world anyway. And if that's enough for you, great, good for you. And, you know, kind of come back to us, you know, when, you, when you've got a more complex challenge to wrestle with. Um, 
so essentially, you know, with the starting point of, you know, leadership's about making the world better. Uh, and why is that? I mean, I, I reflect, you know, and did reflect long and hard to get to this, you know, kind of conclusion that all of the instances in my life that I could look at and go, either that was awesome, that was a that was the greatest experience, whether it's business, life, whatever, or that was dreadful. And that really did nothing for me or it actually took from my experience. I could actually isolate both of the sides of that spectrum down to the leadership that was involved in producing that outcome. So whether that was an early job as a as a as a poolside lifeguard, you know, as a teenager, noticing you know a, a physical and emotional change in the staff when the shift manager would change, mm. and that how quickly that flowed down literally to the safety of the people that were you know paying money to to bring their families and, and have fun in the water. Um, all the way through to you know, my early experiences being led and working with managers and just how much more productive for the organization and how much more beneficial I was for my customers when I was being well led or when I was being led by someone who did nothing for me and I had no respect for and they just made my life harder. And then from a paying it forward perspective, I've certainly experienced that you know when you're being ridden by someone who really doesn't live you know by a value system that in any way aligns with yours and they they just seem to want to do everything to make your work life miserable you don't have any time to give back to your community and you don't have any headspace for gratitude because you're just in you know base maslovian hygiene survival mode i've just got to get through the day you know um and I know therefore, you know, kind of deduced, well, it all comes down to leaders, you know, and it is leaders ultimate opportunity and responsibility to at an individual human level, fully actualize people, make their workplaces safe and supportive and empowering. And to an extent, you know, optimistically, now let human nature play out that we're fundamentally not terrible people. And we will all come to, you know, sort of do our individual bit to make make the whole thing better so that's the fundamental premise and then how we do that is we've got an organization with practitioners right around australia and, and we and we've got a, a growing team in america uh, based out of la and we have five practices it starts with providing objective data what we call clarity that essentially shows you where your organization's at from a leadership performance perspective and then we go okay so now what do you need based on what is the outcome that you want. How are you making the world better? What's that specifically look like in terms of a commercial outcome? And how do you make money through making the world better? Because that's kind of important. Um, and then how do we best help you do that either as coaches or as consultants or you know, bringing more people to you as recruiters or helping your people learn you know, through training or through online systems. And we, we, we just apply exactly what's required. And then we verify that with another objective measure at the back end. Mm. Very nice. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down because a lot of people, you know, a lot of guys are like, yeah, maybe I do need that kind of um, assistance, coaching, consulting, you name it, but they're not sure how it works. And uh, yeah. I find that a lot in my own practice. They're like, what does that look like? <laughs> what can you yeah. do for me? You don't even know my industry. I'm like, uh, I know leadership. I know business strategies. Yeah. I know marketing strategies. Yeah. I just, yeah. It's basic pretty much. You know, we can cater it, but... Yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. 
And all of it for us is, is driven through values, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, we put our values front and center. We're very explicit about them, but it's not just about having them on a website, having them on a poster on the wall. It's actually sitting down at the beginning of every client engagement and going, okay, this is the experience consistently that you will get with us because of the values that we have. You know, we are 100% committed to the cause. So you're going to get a hell of a lot of engagement. And are you sure you're ready for that? Because it basically mm-hmm. means that once we begin, we don't desist. You know, we care genuinely, sincerely mm-hmm. with a huge amount of purpose. And that means that we, <laughs> we are going to challenge you and we want you to care at least as much as we care. Yeah, and, and, and we're courageous. So we're going to challenge you and that's going to be uncomfortable. You know, because as you would know, as a military man, you know, courage comes after fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. um, so if you're, if you're not really confronted with something, that you may have been aware of or you may not have, have, have prioritized and that's a bit of a oh oh dear moment, um, you know, well, then, then, you, then you can be courageous and then you can get into it. Uh, so we'll help you along that journey. Um, and we also have complete integrity. So, you know, we, we, will, we will give you bare-faced honesty, which means a lot of the time you may not like what mm-hmm. we're saying. But we're the opposite of yes people. Um, yeah, so, the, so yeah, the, everything is underpinned by those values. And again, if, 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 if that sounds wrong and if you're, you're sitting there listening to this as a leader going, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I know what my values are, but, you know, they're kind of separate to, to, to what I do in my work. And, you know, business is values. You know, I'm not sure that they're mine. I would say we're not for you. Yeah. Or at least if you don't want the two to align and you don't want your business to live through values, then we're not we're not for you. Yeah, it's good to definitely draw that line for sure. Excellent, man. So we're at this point where you're going to pay it forward to our listeners. Ready to do that? Yeah, man. Let's go. Excellent. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. Yeah, and look, I mean, it, I, I didn't intend this, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but but the segue is pretty easy. It, it all comes down to values. Like the first thing that you can do with no further interjection from anybody is define what your values are. Um, you know, and there's lots of tools you know on the internet that are available. There's lots of TED talks on this kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, kind of get into at a fundamental core level what your values are. Um, and you'd be surprised the number of times I sit down with a leader of the business and they tell me that, that one of their primary values is profit and that they have to deliver a profit return to their investors and shareholders. Mm. And I listen to that and I, and I, I now, now I try to manage the curtness, but it's a very direct response of essentially no. Profit is an outcome mm-hmm. of you fully living your values and that your customer's experience reflects that and they keep coming back and spending their money with you and that's where your profit comes from. If you start with profit, effectively, you've got a, a self-deprecating system that's going to eat itself at some point. So define your values, point one. Point two is then essentially sort of write out and agree with yourself a framework of behaviors, specific things that you do or do not do based on what your values are. And then the third thing, and again, you can fully internalize this, but I recommend making yourself encount- accountable and you know, invite feedback on how you're living your values through your behaviors, through the actions that you take. And invite feedback you know, from your spouse, from your friends, from your team, from your customers. You know, make that declaration and then ask people to hold you accountable for it. And that is actually the way that I personally have found the most success and fulfillment. 
and the customers that I work with find exactly the same. Yeah, paramount, man. I love it. And and the thing about the values is I totally agree with you. I've I've been that person. I've started a business based solely on the purpose, sole purpose of making money. And when you do that, you'll do whatever it takes. And whatever it takes isn't always a good thing. <laughs> you know, not that I did anything wrong, but I, you know, the thought process is there. And that's how a lot of people get into trouble. But yeah, and then when it comes to values, also you have institutional values and you have your cultural values and you have your personal values. And those sometimes clash. So, and this is something that I, we deal with in the military because when you come into a large organization, regardless of what your personal values are and the values you got from your culture growing up, you now have core corporate values that you have to abide to or else. <laughs> and hopefully yeah, the look, corporate I, values I, are good. Yeah, that's exactly the point. Uh, and I agree with you. But I also have a have a not a contention, I think, but just a caveat, and let's explore mm-hmm. that and see if it is a, a contention or yeah, not. Absolutely, that's what um, I love to do. That you know, everybody should bring their values to the party, and the key to organisational success is having enough congruence of personal values that when you define what your organisational values are, enough people will get behind enough of them that the whole thing can really bloom and blossom and that you have this gravitational pull of great people want to come and work with you because they align with your values and that customers want to come and spend money with you because they align with your values. And the whole thing actually really becomes a very powerful, attractive force. But where the shift is, and I think this is where the bridge is between sort of the perspective across what values should be different, personal, institutional, cultural, is that for me, if the values are fundamentally misaligned you're never going to get a high performance environment Mm -hmm. but where the values are aligned enough the difference that's acceptable is the prioritization of the values so you might be sitting there and go well look teamwork is is great and teamwork's the number one organizational value and i can subscribe to that up to a point but teamwork teamwork's value three collaboration's value three for me because i need to put family first yeah, and, and then learning because I, I just have to keep getting better and then I'm happy to collaborate. So again, as long as the alignment's there and it's kind of like you can overlay them, that's good. But if, if, if collaboration is not one of your personal values, then don't join a business that says that it's one of ours. Mm-hmm. No, that's a very good point. Very well said. And it's extremely important to consider that as you start creating an even more diverse organization i'm a i just get giddy when i think about the um the values uh, and the benefits of having a very well diverse team and organization from gender to cultural uh from around the world because <laughs> then you get so many amazing different perspectives on a project that i mean you just can't help but win as long as it can all come together yeah and look, I think, you know, absolutely, you know, organizations should have governing virtues, you know, as organizational values. But certainly in the work that we do, what we actually find sort of really drives performance is values being shared at a, at a small group level. And whether that's a team or it's a business unit, you know, or it's a project team, you know, it's a strike force or whatever it is, you know, that, that, that where, the, where the relationships are most sort of codependent and interrelated that's where the most overlap of values needs to be. 
right? Yeah, like, absolutely. So, so, so you can have a kind of a distal view that, yep, I really like where the business is going overall from a, from a values perspective and, and, and where we're going. But actually, the team that I'm in, they're all about something that's, 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 that, that their values prioritization is very different to mine. Therefore, I'm going to underperform because the environment that I'm in at a personal level and a human level every day, I'm kind of grating against stuff that I intrinsically don't really agree with. And then my, you know, kind of participation starts to get reduced and my level of engagement with my work and my contribution to customers starts to be reduced. And then I either transfer out of the team, which is not necessarily high productivity outcome for the team, or I leave the organization overall because I disagree with the team, not disagree with the business. Right. Yeah, all very, very good points. So what rituals make the biggest impact in your life? Yeah, so I think for me the 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 biggest the biggest impact um, is a question that I ask myself as often as possible, um, which is you know it, it is a commercial one, and it's essentially every time you know I'm considering a solution or you know a new product or you know sort of a service line that we want to refine. You know, I just ritually ask myself you know this sort of cascade of questions, which is how will this thing, whatever this thing is, allow customers to transform and in transforming and changing what they do to make the world better? And why will this work better than something that they've been trying before? Um, and then how does this reflect and renew my values and our organizational values? And obviously the organizational values of the, the client that we might be working with. And instead of internalizing that question and making that like a kind of a consistent mantra, um, that's been really valuable just to sort of enter, you know, the mindset of the customer co constantly and, and really sort of kind of check ourselves that we are serving them and that we are adding contribution and that we are actually doing it for us through them. All right. Um, and then look, I mean, you know, the, the kind of the normal stuff, you know, that, that a lot of people, uh, you know, in entrepreneurship and leadership talk about. I mean, I have a morning and an evening ritual and then I'll have a, a kind of a transitional ritual. So in the morning, it's three things. It's it's hydration, it's meditation and it's movement. So I'll, I'll drink, you know, kind of a, a couple of pints of water. First thing I do when I get up. And that hydration by itself, you know, is quite stimulating uh, from a metabolic perspective for me. And then I'll have a short period of just internal reflection. And I just use the label of meditation because most people understand what that is. But I don't necessarily sit there, you know, with my, you know, gong <laughs> and kind of get yeah. into it. I just sit down, be still and just kind of rest and just, you know, kind of get into myself for a few minutes. And then I move and that is either, you know, something prescriptive like a yoga, you know, sort of session. And I, I prefer to do that kind of thing short and fast and by myself just off an app at home. Um, or I'll go out for a walk or I'll get in the pool and go for a swim or, you know, if I've got lots of energy and the kids have had a good night's sleep and therefore so have I, I might get on the bike or on the trail and, and go for a run. Um, and then the opposite end of the day it really is all about a ritual that prepares me for the best night's sleep I can get. You know, so that's about down regulating. It's about blue light glasses. If I'm working late, you know, it's about spending time with bell and, and having that kind of precious decompression time together at the end of both of our, you know, sort of active days. Um, 
And then I use some, you know, kind of topical magnesium and stuff like that just to sort of help soothe the body and sort of set myself up for a relaxing night's sleep. And then the transitional thing, I mean, this again has been one of those, you know, kind of nuggets of leadership practice and learning that I've been doing for a while. Like at this stage, it would be a couple of years, um, but didn't think that it would be of any value to anybody else. So I didn't share it with anyone um, until I had a specific you know, sort of reason when I was coaching uh, uh, a, a quite large uh, listed um, company CFO. And she was just never able to sort of make this sort of healthy transition between work and home. And she was always kind of bringing a lot of, you know, sort of internalized stress and, and, and sort of negative energy, you know, sort of into the, into the home. And then that would obviously end up in a sort of a, a, a downward spiral again. And, and so I offered up to her, like, look, I don't know how you would feel about this, but this is something that I do. So when I'm commuting home, I have this particular point on the road where I pull the, pull the wagon up to the side and, uh, and I get out of the car and I just am still for 60 seconds. And it's less of an internalized sort of meditative practice. It's looking out and it's then reflecting deliberately on the day. You know, what was good? You know, what was bad? What am I going to do tomorrow? Uh, and that's it. You know, kind of 20 seconds on each. I literally start a timer on my watch. Bam, bam, bam. Back in the car. And that for me is just this critical little transition. Workday done. Family time begins. I've then got an extra little drive to get home and that's just that added bit of decompression because you just cannot be the best you need to be if you're on all the time. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. I've never heard that one, but it, it kind of relates back to um, when I did the last job that I actually worked. I was in Hawaii, fortunately enough, and part of my commute home was to kayak across um, Pearl Harbor. So mm. that was therapy, mm. and it was only took about nine to ten minutes or so. But mm. Mm. Um, you know, turtles, dolphins, the whole Nirvana. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. saying it doesn't even sound real, but that was my part of my day uh, twice a day actually. So it's 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 really neat to be able to do that, and guys. That's very simple. Something anybody could do: decompress and before you walk into the front door. I love that ritual. That's a very good one. Yeah, and it really, you know, to any, like to you, it's kayaking across a, you know, sort of a beautiful paradise, you know, of ocean. You know, for me, it's standing by the side of the road, looking out at a little vista. For somebody else, it might be, you know, their walk through an urban environment that that they just they just kind of make a little bit of time in, you know, to pause at a stop sign or mm-hmm. you know sit in a park for you know, a couple of minutes or something. But I, I, I um, yeah, I very much endorse this as a conscious you know, sort of transition mode between one and the other. Wow. Wonderful. I love it. What are you reading or listening to that you'd recommend to our abundant leaders and why? Okay. Uh, so there's just, I mean, I'm a constant learner. So there's, there's literally, you know, if I had the video camera on, like there's a stack of books on the shelves and there's a stack of books on the table that are waiting to be read. Um, so what I'm reading, what I'm reading right now is a book by a guy called David Epstein, uh, called Range, and uh, and that really speaks to me and my personal journey, but also I think to one of the main challenges that that, that I see and observe in leadership is really a, a kind of an over expert syndrome, 
um, where the people that get fastest promoted are the people that have got the most expertise in a particular industry or sector or function. And that what that ends up with is essentially leadership that is deficient of insight and learning and diversity and resilience that comes from that diverse experience. And what this guy uh, has really shown, and, and it's an empirically based you know, sort of tome, is that ironic to that, the people that are actually most proficient in their own success and in driving the success of others as leaders have actually got a delineated track to get to that point of ultimate performance, whether it's in sport or it's in, you know, the world of finance and there's anecdotes, you know, uh, you know that are quite extensive. He's basically saying, if all you do is one thing, it doesn't take much to kind of rock that boat and, and how much can you actually teach and inspire other people and as someone who's, you know, kind of hopped roles and hopped functions and, you know, now big building a business which has, you know, got diversity at the core of it, I couldn't subscribe to, to that view anymore. So highly recommend that one if you agree with any of that. The other one which I'm not reading right now but I've read twice and I love and I just tell everybody about whenever I can kind of reflects a similar theme and that's a book called Rebel Talent by a woman called Francesca Gino who's a Harvard professor. And, you know, Francesca speaks from a similar perspective but – it's more deliberately around creativity and innovation. So she looks at a whole host of different people, um, you know, like the pilot who landed his plane on the Hudson or a chef in Italy who trained as a lawyer and then bought a restaurant kind of on a whim and then has become, you know, one of the most creative, you know, sort of restaurateurs in the world. And she, she takes a similar line that the reason why these people are as good as they are is because they've done so much and they look so far away from the main parameters and boundary lines of their expertise and it actually enables their success not deprecates from it so that's 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 the book stuff and then listening i mean man i listen to a lot of stuff um really all podcasts so the the list of favorites would be um you know mainly american a hidden brain on npr uh, with a host called Shankar Vedantham, really great content, all very interesting, very topical. Uh, Masters of Scale with Reid Hoffman, the LinkedIn founder, you know, very business orientated, but 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 very very good, you know, practical, applicable advice. Uh, and then from a better world leadership perspective, I actually can't get far past Rich Roll, the Rich Roll podcast. Um, and his is not ostensibly a business podcast, but he has a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, and, and interesting high-performance people who really have this key tenant of, you know, trying to have a positive impact. Uh, and then there's an Australian one that I'd recommend, you know, to the brethren overseas who may not have come come across it, which is a, a forward-looking podcast called Future Tense, which is on the ABC here in Australia. And that's a very broad spectrum of topics, you know, whether it's the future of energy or the future of education or, you know, the future of, you know, interpersonal relationships and, and then interviewing a very, very wide range of, of, of mainly academic and, and, and also commercial experts in all of those fields. And, yeah, if you can get through all of that, you'll be listening to about half of what I listen to. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. That's a lot of content <laughs> to consume, man. But I love it. Great recommendations, man. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance, Jim? Uh, look, I, I, I'm going to start to sound boring and repetitive here, but it's such a core tenant of mine that my response to that can't be anything other than, you know, that you're not going to live a life of full abundance unless you have defined and are living and are being held accountable to your values. Mm -hmm. And that the biggest thing that holds people back 
is by shackling themselves to other people's values that you then end up living at best in a kind of a, oh, this is all right, but I know it could be better. At worst, you live in kind of fundamental opposition to. And then you get to a point in time when you just go, what the hell have I been doing with myself? Yeah. And I think, yeah. that's, a, that, I think that's a real tragedy you know, of, of, of modern life that a lot of people are, are basically doing that out of obligation, out of commitment, out of I don't know what. But um, I think the opportunity now really is that a lot of organizations are switching on to the value of values and this powerful, attractive force for customers and, and, and good people. Uh, and it's actually a lot easier to get out there and find places to go and spend your work life that do align with your values. It really is. It really is. Very well said. So what does being a man of abundance mean to you? Yeah, I think for me, it's very straightforward. I think it's living your values. It's sharing as much of yourself and, 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 and the value you create as you can. Um, and then it's essentially just kind of, you know, being a, you know, sort of a person who's true to themselves and, and in doing that, you know, can make a positive impact and make the world a bit better every day. Excellent, man. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that, man. Great conversation. We are definitely going to have 4iLeadership.com linked up in the show notes so they can go check out more about what you do professionally. But before I let you go, what did we not talk about that you want to ensure that our men of abundance get out of our conversation today? And how else can they get a hold of you? Okay, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. We so, certainly have. Um, I, look, I think probably the only thing that I would say, given you know that we're recording this right, you know, sort of around you know the kind of the festive season, is is really you know if I could if I could impart you know a request or an invitation onto you know, anybody that's listening to this, you know, it would be you know try and take some of the quiet moments that you might find. You know, over the, the you know the the holiday season ahead, if anything, you know that that Wally and I have talked about here lands with you, just try and spend some time and reflect on that, and and and, and sort of take take whatever means the most to you, and and then try and make some make something actionable from that. Um, and in terms of where to get hold of me, I mean, yeah, the website's a great place to start, and I really would say that is the place to start. But yeah, I'm also on YouTube, um, and and there's there's LinkedIn is my primary professional social uh, platform. So you know, come come look me up there, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing from, and, and and would be very keen to talk to anybody who uh, yeah has enjoyed the conversation and you know, just wants to talk or or you know has anything that they'd like to say and and, and share their thoughts about you know value centered leadership and and all the ways that leaders can make the world better. Excellent. Excellent, Tim. We'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. So great conversation. We got very deep. We actually got into a lot of good content before we even started the show. So we'll, we'll see how we can fit some of that in there as well, guys, <laughs> so you can get in on some of that. But um, Tim, just go out, live your life of abundance, man. Keep paying it forward because you are doing amazing things in the world. And I greatly appreciate it. And I'm sure those that are touched in one way or another appreciate it as well. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Here's your action step for this episode, guys. It's an easy one. Share the heck out of this episode. Share any episode. Share Men of Abundance with others. During this time of year, so many people are just dwelling on their adversity and really having a hard time. They need anything that can possibly lift them up. You need anything that can lift you up. It's therapeutic. Like I said before, 
Don't wait till things are bad. Keep this type of mentality, keep the abundance mentality in your mind in the forefront at all times. And that way when things do happen, you can be more resilient in that action in that event and you can grow from it that much quicker. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance. Oh,